Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. You guys can have a seat. How are we doing this morning? All right, good. I think we need to get that coffee going pretty soon now that the space is open. Um, so as uh, we look to our, our passage in, in Colossians this morning, we just titled it Dress Like a Christian, which I know sounds weird, um, but we all have different styles, right? We have, and we dress for different occasions, like what you wear to the beach is very appropriate, hopefully. Um, but if you wore the same thing to a funeral, you'd get some odd looks, I'm thinking, right? Um, so what you dress kind of says something about who you are and where you are and what the purpose is. And um, So when we see this, we're not talking about, um, you know, this isn't going to be a dress about the kind of clothing you should wear, right? Um, this is Paul's metaphor of spiritually how a Christian dresses. What do you put on? We've already seen what you put off. So what, I, what I've done is I've brought a volunteer here. Oh, he's, she's heavy. She's going to be with us. I thought about getting a live volunteer, but you'd have to sit up here the whole time. She looks more attentive than some of you. But, uh, no, that's a cheap shot. I'm sorry. Uh, so so as, as she, because I really, this is going to, we're going to get into a list that, that even if you have almost no church background, it's not going to be a shocking list. Like, oh, I didn't realize, right? Most of us know these things. So I don't want this just to be some kind of lecture on Christian virtue, right? I, I want this to be more of an introspective, introspective kind of practical thing. Like, where am I right now? Am I clothed in this? So what we've already seen, if you've been with us, that Paul has said that, that, that there's certain, you remember the rags that, that we threw off. A couple, a couple uh, um, a weeks ago, I gave you the analogy of a kid who lived under a dumpster and had nothing but disgusting rags and gets adopted into a family, right, and, and, uh, and, and then still tries to put those rags on. And, and his new mother's like, what are you doing? That's, that's not you anymore, right? That's your old life. That's what Paul is saying, like, like your old life, and we talked about sexual immorality and, and idol worship and lying and, and, and wrath and malice and all these other things. Like, those are put off. That's not you anymore. Not if you're truly in Christ, right? So then he's going to get into, okay, we don't just leave it there. Like, we're not walking around naked spiritually, right? We actually put on new clothes because we're in Christ. And so, though it's warm, I'm sorry about that, but we're going to zip her up. And we're going to show throughout this time the things that Paul says should clothe Christians. Let's pray before we get into that, into, into the word. Lord, I do ask for, you, you know as I often pray, exactly who we have here this morning, who you have. As Mike already well said during our time of communion, we have people on every spectrum of, of excited about you and what you're doing in their lives and in a real valley, in a cold place, and not even sure why they're here or everywhere in between. So you know what we need, what your word to bring to bear. Lord, I pray not for shame, but for excitement to clothe ourselves more in who you are. For you, O oh God, you, O oh Christ, are a great example of how to live. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, if you, uh, we'll, as we always do, put it on the screen. It's really 
basically three verses, four, but we're going to be quick with verse 11. Um, so it's chapter 3 of Colossians, uh, starting with verse 11. If, by the way, if you don't own a Bible, one of those Bibles you see around in front of you, uh, we just restocked because a number of people, praise God, have taken them. Um, we want you to. It's one of the only times we want you to steal from us because um, it's not stealing. If you don't own a Bible, to take that, that home. Uh, with you, but uh, if you just want to use it and leave it there, that's fine too. Um, so as, as we, we turn there, I do, and we've, we've seen the video and all of that, you see all of the, the food that the kids uh, brought. There's a ton of change in my office. It's like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, some of that is because we pit the boys against the girls, right? And uh, the boys won this year, first time in a, in a few years. So uh, it was close and they get excited, but we try to impress on them that really what we're doing is giving all of this to the food pantry uh, so we can feed. So I think the kids sort of get that, but I think the boys trying to beat the girls and vice versa. Um, but it was really a great time. Uh, because I'm here and I really have no responsibilities at all with VBS, don't let the kids fool you and say that I'm Dr. Salmonella Cook. I'm not. That's a rumor, okay? Um, I would never do such things. And, uh, but, but so I get to walk around here and there and just see so many of you uh, volunteering and take so many. What I really love about it, obviously, A, um, close to 100 kids, like between 90 and 100 kids, spending on the day, got to hear the gospel and hear about God's love in really fun and creative ways all week. So that's why we do it. But one of it, as a pastor, one of the things I really, really delight in is how many people get to rub elbows when maybe you wouldn't, right? We have older people, um, I won't name names, uh, and teenage, ton of teenagers helping and everywhere in between and doing all kinds of things and, and really getting to know each other along with the kids. So it really becomes a whole, you know, we don't get a lot of ministries like that, right, for obvious reasons where everyone's kind of, so many people are involved. Um, and I know some of you just came to set up or break down or gave financially because that's all, you know, you work during the week or whatever. Um, and so it takes a whole church to do something like that. I'm most, uh, of course, uh, just, just so uh, thankful for the gift that God has given this church. And Lauren uh, Bundy, our children's director, um, I try not to take her for granted, but we've been working for over 10 years together. So I was sitting in the closing ceremony. She was also dealing with some health issues this week, and you'd never, ever know it. Um, if I was at all feeling unwell around all those kids, I'd be fired by now. So uh, she really is a gift. So whenever you see her, just thank her because she just led that charge so well. So um, just as a pastor, I felt like important to say that. We do have Family Fun Day coming up soon. Um, if you want to get involved in that, another great opportunity to serve our community. Coming out of COVID, people need, and I realize we still got some issues with that, but, but just people need to be loved, and they need to know they're loved, and that's our job, right? That's our job. So uh, hopefully you can help with that coming up at the end of August. So uh, transitioning to, to verse 11, we're not going to spend a lot of time with this because I know we had this last week, and Bob did a great job talking about what it means to be in Christ, and that's so critical, right? But, but I, I want to remind you, one of the reasons Paul's saying this, or he's writing this to a church in Colossae that he'd never met, but he loved them very much, and, and, and he was in prison, he receives this report, right? And they're doing great in a lot of ways as a church, but this false teaching, if you remember, we've talked a lot about that in previous weeks, has kind of threatened, and one of the, the, the things things they've threatened, which is a, a normal thing when, when there's some people in the church going, I don't know, maybe they're right, and there's other people going, I don't think they are. Divisiveness happens, right? The seams of unity stretching. And so, so Paul just says, I don't want that for you as the, the body of Christ, right? And he gives us this great verse. He says, here, meaning in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, 
circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So he says, this is the place where we have ultimate unity in Christ. Because like every other distinction that the world divides us, culture, language, economic, right, slave and free, religious, uh, all these things that if you're living in the world, I'm divided because of them. I'm looked down upon or I look down on others or I don't understand you and so I go over here. He says the church doesn't do that. Why? Because we, you, if you're in Christ, you've been saved by the same blood that was shed on the cross as I have. And that overshadows everything. Everything. Right? So he's saying that divisiveness shouldn't happen. And how do we, how do we keep that from happening? He's going to say we clothe ourselves. We put on what is in Christ. It's how we, how we live. And so the first part of verse 12 is simply just a few words, but it gives the reason for our clothing style. And this is so important. Because I don't want you to go away thinking, I have to figure out a way to show humility, right? Or, or to bear with others, and some of the other things we're going to see. Because um, if you don't get this aspect, you won't be able to do that. And it's because of who God is and what he's done for us that we now can't help but clothe ourselves in him, right? And so this is the reason, the very first half of verse 12. Paul says, okay, because we have that unity, right? Put on then, you t- took off all the other stuff, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So there's three descriptives, like a three-pronged sort of description as to why you're going to clothe yourselves like this. And if you're someone, and I'm not really one of these people, but if you're someone who writes in your Bible or circles things, you might circle that in your Bible, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and just write a word somewhere near it or under it that kind of just sort of encapsulates all of that, and that is simply the word grace. Grace. God's unmerited, unearned favor. In other words, you didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to get it. He gave it to you out of his love and out of his mercy and out of his grace. First, you are chosen. If you're in Christ, you're chosen. God chose you. Like the the God of the universe chose you. Not because, you know what, you're pretty moral. You go to church every week. Or, or you, you know, you, didn't, you only went to uh, rated R movies when it was about Jesus, right? Or, or uh, you know, that's not why he chose you. He chose you before all of that. Out of his grace, he chose you. The second, you're holy, which is a weird, sometimes to us, religious word. I'm holy. Holy just means to be set apart. Now, you didn't set apart yourself. God set you apart. One of the pictures of, of holiness that the New Testament loves to give us is of a wedding. And he calls, the, he calls the, the church, so all of us who are in Christ, right, the bride of Christ. And so that means Christ is the groom. And, and, and our, our um, weddings are a little bit different in, in their culture. So I want you to kind of picture with me um, our culture. Kind of, You've probably been to some weddings, some of you a lot more than you probably wanted to, right? or been in weddings, or been married yourself. And so you picture, and I kind of picture because I've done a lot in here, right? And and so we usually line up, usually groomsmen, right, a best man of some kind, but then here's the groom. And he comes out, and he's standing there. The bridal party comes in, they kind of line up, and all that, right? And there's music playing, and then it stops, and we stand. And then usually a dad, 
brings in the bride. And we look and, oh, she's so beautiful, right? And, and you take video even though you're told not to with your phone, and, right? Because, because here's the bride. And the idea of this is that the bride is set apart for the groom. And only the groom. That's what this whole wedding's about. She is now his. He is now hers. No one should ever come in between that. Right? That's what this whole procession's about. And so, I want you to picture this. Right? You're, oh, you've got your phone out. And, and here comes the bride. Right? And she unlinks arms with her dad, passes the groom, grabs and embraces one of the groomsmen, and walks off. Awkward. Right? <laughs> Horrifying for some of you. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not supposed to happen, but that's the picture of every time those who are claiming to be in Christ, the bride, pass the Lord Jesus by and marry something to the world. That's why God is so grieved by it. You are holy, and you didn't make yourself holy. God did that. Your faith in Christ, God makes you holy, set apart for him. Right? So, so that's why you're not clothing in yourself to earn something. You're doing it because you're for him. You are his. And, of course, lastly, which is not an add-on at all, he says, you are beloved. Like the God who made the sunsets and supernovas and the universe, the stars and the, uh, the beach and the ocean and you and all, he loves you. And he doesn't love you because of you. So your love, the, the love that he has for you, is never, ever, ever going to end. You can't do anything to lose his love because you didn't do anything to gain his love. The idea of losing our salvation is preposterously unbiblical. It doesn't go with anything that makes sense because you never earned your salvation. You can't unearn it. Right? You, you are so loved by the creator, so, so loved by the groom. That, that now, why wouldn't we want to live out a love for him? And that's the essential. As we get to this clothing, if you were like, how do I get more of that clothing, fall deeper in love with God. It's the only way. How do you fall deeper in love with God? Recognize how much he's loved you. Gaze upon the glories of the cross and see the amazing love God has for you, what he's done for you. And you grow deeper into that, and now it starts to come out, and you start to want to clothe in Christ. And so as we get to these things, um, in, in the end here, of, as we continue in verse 12, I want to first say that this is not a lecture that none of you people are doing these things. As the pastor, I get to see, I could bring up hundreds, and most of you, right, of examples of many of these things. This is, but there's going to be a few on this list for all of us to go, ooh, yeah. Not me, but I'm really good at this, right? I'm the humblest person I know, right? That's probably a bad sign, but so I don't want you to feel like that. It's just like a virtue lecture. It isn't, it, and I'm, you're even going to find, which will be f- sort of weird. I totally fooled our worship team last night because I didn't warn them that, that uh, I'm going to really short prayers in between each of these because I really want God to kind of settle our hearts and say, all right, is that me? Am I clothed in these things? So be kind of prepared for that. Because, I, you know, we, we can do practical things if we're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're not going to be able to do these things. You can pretend for a while. This is because you're in Christ. So, so, you're invi- so I'm not saying leave. I'm saying come in. You're invited into a relationship with God by trusting in faith what Christ has done for you. You, no matter what your background, you are able to come in to that relationship. 
So I want you to be thinking about that today as we go through these. And so he says, put on then as God's chosen one and beloved, uh, holy and, and, and beloved, compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. You might have a, an English translation that calls this tender mercies. Tender mercy. This actually, in the Greek that Paul wrote this in, it, it, this is kind of gross, but, but bear with me. It means from your bowels come your tender mercies or compassion heart, compassionate hearts. And so for us, bowels is sort of gross, but, but it's, it's, an, it's a metaphor of the deepest part of your core. And this isn't fake compassion. This is understanding God's compassion for you. And then, and then so understanding that, that it burst forth. And so what it means is we, as in Christ people, we, we see the downtrodden and the hurting, and we don't walk over them, we run towards them. Whether it be those in hospitals or nursing homes, orphans, the unborn, whether it be the, the, the people in prison. Or even just the people in our everyday lives that are sitting by themselves, bullied in school, hurting, like need somebody. And maybe there's some reason for it. People are like, eh, right? And we go toward. That's compassion. That's the compassionate heart. That's the, the tender mercies. And why do we do that? Why do we do that? It's because God has shown that compassion towards us. Just look at the cross. You were dead. You're now alive. You were lost. Now you're found. And so I, I want us to ask the question, do I wear compassion? You really sit too close to the edge here. And so we're going to clothe. That's probably a good spot. Sorry about that. And, and as we add these, I want you to ask, is that me? Some people are, are, are especially gifted toward helps and hospitality. Don't judge others, by the way. When we have a, a gift, we tend to want everyone else to have the same gift. And, and so that's not your job. Your job is to, to look at yourself and say, how can I do it more? Let God deal with other people. Your example will be enough. Um, but ask yourself. Like there was, there was a, a story I've told before of a mega church, thousands of people in this church. And, and the, um, the pastor decided instead of doing his regular routine, he dressed up like a homeless person, wandered around outside of his huge church as hundreds of people were streaming in. And they, they kind of all walked past him to get a good seat so they could worship, right? And so then when he finally was time for the sermon, he wandered in looking like a homeless person. Sounds like something I would do someday, right? So be aware, right? Be ready. Um, and and uh, he, he came up and he said, you know, one person of all these even thousand probably people, um, one person asked if I was okay and another person offered to help. That was it. And, and, and it was just a, a shocking revelation. It didn't mean they weren't good Christians or not a good church. I don't think he was trying to say that. He's just saying, look, we miss it. Because we're so looking above it, we miss the people who are, are hurting all around us. And so we, we, what I want you to, to do right now is think about, are there people in my life, in my circle, who are just need, they need someone to listen, they need someone to, to love them. They need, they need something tangible that I can give them, but I've been walking past. Maybe a, someone who, is, who is, sits by themselves at school and you have the opportunity, students, to, to, to be the one that steps out and says, no, 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 this shouldn't be. Or you have the opportunity to visit someone in a nursing home 
the opportunity to, to serve in, in our homeless ministry when we go to Worcester or whatever it might be. Ask for opportunities to show tender mercies. And look for someone specifically this week. And if you pray, guess what? You'll start seeing them. God, show me someone that could use my help. And you'll open your eyes, and you're going to start seeing them. And you're going to think, wow, why did God do that? It's, they were already there. You're just seeing them now. They're there all around us if you just look. If we stop our busy schedules for half a second and look, they're there. Lord, I just ask for you to press upon us this week to clothe ourselves in compassionate hearts. Put people in each of our paths and circles at work, at home, our neighborhoods, community, wherever it might be, oh Lord. Give us the courage and the strength and the patience to show tender mercy and compassion to those around us. Amen. So we have compassion. And then second on the list, put on compassionate hearts, he says kindness. Do I really have to describe kindness to you? Some of you probably. I think we all know what it is. It's a sweet disposition towards others. It's especially showing graciousness to those who might not, you might not expect to receive it from you. Right? It's obviously a good place to start your kindness is in your home, you know, with your spouse or, or with your kids or parents or, you know, so work on that, of course. But there's this element of showing naturally, because this is a spiritual fruit, right? This should come out. This is not an option. I'm just not a kind person. Then you're not in Christ. I mean, that's just how it is. To be in Christ means it will start to come out far more than it ever did before to show this kind of kindness. Why do we do that? We show the kindness that God showed us. Think about how kind God has been to us. Think about it. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his grace, his salvation. And he's been so kind to give it to us. You know, there was a, a true story of a king who, uh, um, he became king with pretty powerful money, you know, like, like a king will have. And, uh, but before he was king, the previous king was terrible to him. Terrible. And he was always on the run. He almost was killed by this king a couple times. And, and, and so just horrible. And his family was horrible for the most part. And, and so he becomes king. And he asks um, for if there's anybody left from the previous king's family to be brought to him. And so if you were in the court of the king at that time, you'd probably think, oh, boy, here comes judgment, right? This poor, the previous king's dead, so the rest of his family is going to pay for his sins against the new king. And so they bring forth, all they could find was a crippled guy. They're like, oh, this kind of stinks, this poor guy. I already have a miserable life, right? So you bring him to the king, and the king goes, no, 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 I'm not judging you. I'm inviting you into my family to sit at my table for the rest of your life. Some of you, if you know your Bibles, know that true story is in the Old Testament, and that king is David. And he did that. Why? He wanted to show the kindness of God to others. He had the opportunity to judge, to hurt, to lord over, but he showed kindness instead. And so the question is, do I wear kindness? Do I wear kindness? Good, good measuring stick. If you're not, if, if you feel like, you know, you walk into a room and people kind of shy away because you're not kind, that's not a good place for a Christian to be in. It doesn't mean you're not one. It could. It just means you, you, need to, you need to gaze more upon what God has done for you. Stop believing your own hype and start remembering his hype and the kindness will start to naturally come out. So I want you to ask that. 
kindness. Is that something that if, if, if somebody said, hey, if you had someone who knows you really well, hey, list up the first ten characteristics of me that you can think of, would kindness make the list? With how much money you make or how famous you are, or how cool you are, how well-dressed you are, how handsome you are, how, like, whatever it might be, how good at business or sports or music you are. Like, those are fine, right? But would kindness make the list? And for the Christian, it must. It must make the list. Father, I pray that we would be purposeful to be kind to people this week. Lord, that you would help us to be aware of our tone and disposition that you would help us to, to find people to go out of our way to show genuine, genuine kindness, that we might show them how kind you are through our lives. Amen. Third one on the list is, there it is, it always comes up, humility. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Right? This is the opposite of what the false teachers were doing, right? The false teachers were like, hey, you can be awesome, uh, higher level Christians if you do this, right? And Paul's like, gosh, that's so the opposite of Jesus. So the opposite. Like, Jesus is the greatest example, right? The, the Bible tell, teaches us that, that he was all the glories and privileges of God, and he became one of us. He took on flesh. Like, just sitting there thinking about that for a second. Well, I think it's pretty cool to be here. No, not when you have the glories of God. It is not cool to be one of us. He did it out of humility and love. Like he then he he suffered hunger and thirst and poverty. He didn't have anywhere to lay his head. Right for his whole public ministry, he was just constantly on the run, constantly pressed, and eventually killed because he was humble to the point of death. What an example of humility! Humility is not, and I want you to hear this. It is not demeaning yourself. I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm useless. No, 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 that's demeaning God. If you're in Christ, you're set apart, you're holy, you're loved, you're chosen, you're gifted. You're not any of those things. That's false humility. Genuine humility is purposeful lowliness. It is Jesus, even in all his glory, washing his disciples' feet. To choose to say, you first, right? To choose to not look for glory and attention, even if we think we deserve it. So humility. Ask yourself, as I'm talking right now, am I somebody that is okay to not be in the limelight? You know, when I think about VBS, how many people you served in ways you probably, some of you might have got a, thank, a thankful, you know, a thanks, but probably just got a few kicks to the shin right? And that, that's humility to say, no, no, but I'm, I'm going to live for these kids right now. I'm going to do this. Like nobody's ever, like you work in the nursery, man. That's so important to do that. So important, but no one's going to throw a ticker tape parade. I don't know if they still do ticker tape, and I'm not even sure what that means, but that's what they do after you win championships, right? No one's going to have the duck boats waiting for you. You served in the nursery. Woo! Right? It's not going to happen. Most people in the church won't even know, but a few of the moms and dads will know. I still remember who was in the nursery when my kids were there. Still pray for them. And thanksgiving, because I was able to put them there and go to church or serve because, because they were there. But, but, man, most people won't. Like, you serve the homeless. Most people don't. You don't get credit for that. That's humility. So am I that kind of person? Is that clothing? Or am I looking for applause, clicks, attention? So let's do something about it. If you're uh, somebody who's like, man, I, I don't know 
that if there's something that I'm doing that, would, that you would say is, is humble. And so don't just say, well, I guess I'm not humble. Find a way to do that. Serve, you can serve in a ministry that, that does that, but, or you can just go serve your neighbors. Don't let them know what you're doing. Go do something for them, and they'll be like, wow, what a blessing. It doesn't mean attention or uh, uh, accolades or applause is bad. It just means that that's not why we do it, right? We do it to die to others, to say, I'm not, I, I already have all I need because of God. What am I doing for you? Do I wear humility? Lord, I ask, this is the hardest one for many of us. And Lord, I pray that those who are humble, that you would encourage them. They're usually the last to know because they're humble. Encourage them to continue to not get tired or weary. And for those of us that are a little bit prideful right now, I ask that you would kill that in us, me included. Kill the desire to want the world's affections and pleasures. They're so fleeting and unsatisfactory in the end. God, help us to see serving you, even in anonymous, just when we're anonymous, is, is glorifying to you. In your name I pray. Amen. The next three I want to I wanna take together real quick. He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Meekness, along with humility, by the way, they're, they're, um, uh, they're, they were looked down upon in the culture they lived in, just like ours, right? You don't get awards for being humble and meek in our culture. But just like in the Greco-Roman culture, you were considered weak, right? Just take the M and, and turn it upside down, right? Add an A, I get it, but, you know, you're weak, not meek, right? It, it, it's a picture of someone who's like, oh, I'm, sh- I'm shy, I'm stupid, I, I'm just going to go over here. Oh, you're meek, you're useless. That's not what meek means, Okay, meek is not. I want you to picture this for meek. Picture a young girl, and she has been taking horseback riding lessons and become pretty good for her age. And she goes out, and she walks into the grass, right, and there's this huge animal, a horse, right? Who's ridden a horse before? Like, it seems cool until you're like, oh, my goodness, right? And you're like, can someone help me out? It's really embarrassing when you're 6'1", and you're like, can someone help me? But that's what I did. It's all right. And, and, and it's like, wow, I'm on this horse. So this little girl gets on this horse, and she grabs the reins, and the horse trots off, and, and, the, and the little girl's looking around. Look how good I am. And you're thinking, wow, that little girl has such control over that horse. Is that really true? No. That horse at any time could go without any effort at all, flip that girl, trample her, and speed off without a sweat. Right? That girl doesn't have any control over that horse. That horse has control of itself for that girl. Allows her, right, to be in charge because he puts that girl. Maybe the horse isn't quite thinking of it that way, but that's what meekness is. Power that you have under control. So you have an opportunity to lord over somebody. You're better, you're more powerful, you're smarter, you're whatever, and you choose not to. That doesn't mean you don't intentionally succeed It means you bring them with you. You put them first. It's others first. That's what meekness is. I could lord it over you. I could demean you, but I choose not to. I could hurt you. I choose not to. He says, put on meekness and put on patience. That comes along with meekness. That's also others first. I don't think, I mean, patience, when you look at it that way, it makes you think of, you know, when you're, you know, 
I was patient the other day because my little, your little kids you had in the car were going, we want McDonald's, we want McDonald's, we want McDonald's. And you're like, I didn't take a Big Mac and shove it down their throat. That's a win, right? That's patient. Some of you are like, you didn't see me in the car after VBS. All right, well, confession time can be later, right? But, but that's patience. But <clears throat> this word actually means to suffer long. Don't you hate it when that translation pops up? You're like, oh, I, I like patience a little better. To suffer long means it's, it's another fruit of the Spirit. Show restraint when you are bearing an insult and you don't have hasty retaliation. So long fuse, right? It, there is a time for anger, and there is a time. I'm not saying there isn't, but, but it's a long fuse when someone annoys you, frustrates you, upsets you, even hurts you. You show great long suffering for them. Why? Because look what God has done for you. He's shown such long suffering for us. He shows such long suffering for the world that largely spits in his face who created them. And yet, that's what God has done for us. And so, he expects us to do that to others. So, the, the, the third, I'm going to turn to verse 13. I'm putting these all three together bearing with one another, because they all kind of go together, right? It's, it's uh, to, to, to show meekness, not lord it over someone, to show patience with another, and bear with another. Remember, he's talking a lot about unity. A lot, whenever um, we go in and do church assessments with a church that's usually that's struggling, we'll give out surveys. Anyone who's in the church can fill out with how they really are thinking. We do interviews with anyone who wants to, and... Um, and, and talk about, you know, what's bothering you or what you like or don't like, just so you can get a picture. You're not worried about whether it's true or not. You're just trying to get a picture. And, and you know what? There's always, it doesn't really matter what the church is or where they are, there's a few threads that kind of weave their way through that assessment of, uh, that seems in the commonality. And one of them is they've stopped bearing with one another. It's so rarely a biblical issue that they're upset about, occasionally. It's always like, like one interview we had with this older guy. He was so angry because the interim pastor had taken pictures down that were important to him in a church hallway. And we were like, is that worth this anger? Well, yeah. And he just lost perspective of what it means to bear with another and say, can I love this man enough to say, they're pictures, we all have our likes and dislikes, what we think should happen, right? It's always about a program or your family did this, and, and there's this clash going on. It's like you're meant to bear with one another. That means to put the other first. Imagine the unity happens when all of us are doing that. I tell married couples that all the time, or as we're about to, to marry them, premarital, I'll say, if one person is bearing with the other and the other isn't, it's this all the time, Right? You're getting hammered. If neither of you are, it's this. But if both of you are, it's this. It's the same for believers, not just within our, our church, but others. So what, what I call these, these three things that we clothe is just simply, we did a sermon series on this, you might remember, called Others First Mentality. That's what you're clothed in, an Others First Mentality, to say, is it about me or is it about others? And so, as I pray right now, just, just let God show you where you might be putting your own needs first. Maybe in your marriage, maybe in your family, maybe 
wherever it might be. Father, I ask you to clothe us in meekness and patience and bearing with others. That, Lord, we, this will not come naturally. But, God, you've been so long-suffering to us. Help us. Help us to see who we might be avoiding, that we might put them first. Help us to bear with someone who's causing us great annoyance or frustration right now. Help us to bear the clothing of Christ and bear with them. Amen. One of the ways, by the way, that you can do that, same with this next one we're about to, to see, is put yourself in their shoes. A lot of times when someone is annoying or frustrating, we don't know their context. We don't know what they're dealing with at home. We don't know what they're dealing with, uh, you know, in, in, in their life or health issues they might be going through. So the, 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 the next to last one, I, I could have put this with the others first because it really is, but it, it really deserves its own article of clothing. Put on, right, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Do I wear, do I wear forgiveness? Forgiveness. You know what forgiveness is. Been in church any length of time. But man, it, it's still, it's easy to talk about. It's harder to do. Um, I've, I've told the, my favorite story of forgiveness, which that's why I've told it probably quite a few times, is Corey Ten Boom, who's, you've maybe heard her, um, she was in a concentration camp. And all of her family were killed by the Nazis, except for her. Her sister was with her in the camp, but she died. And she used to go around, and she's a strong Christian, and she'd talk about forgiveness. And she'd talk about the love of God despite horrible, horrible circumstances. And, and one day after she got done speaking, everyone was around her saying, hey, great job, great job. And all of a sudden she saw coming toward her one of the guards that was at the, the concentration camp she lived in. And this was the face of evil to her, right? The face of the death of her sister. And imagine that. And he comes forward, and, and, and he didn't recognize her because nameless face. But he, he, she had mentioned being in his concentration camp. So he said, you know, I, I was a guard at your concentration camp. And she knew. She just, just stood there frozen. And he said, I became a Christian after the war. And I just wondered if it was even possible for you to forgive me. And, man, she said she just kind of stood there frozen. It's one thing to talk about forgiveness when you're face-to-face -face with something like that, right? It's like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to do that. In her flesh, no way does she have any strength to do that. But instead, she held out her hand and she said, I forgive you. What a profound moment of showing how much God has forgiven us. So I want to ask you, like really practical, is there someone, maybe you've said, oh, I've forgiven them, but you really haven't. You still have deep hatred for them, deep anger for them, and for very good reason in some cases. Very good reasons why I gave you that example with her, because very good reason to hate him. All right, who would excuse, who would not excuse her and say, yeah, I'd hate him too. But man, think about how much God could have hated us. We deserve his judgment and his wrath. Not, that's not preached enough anymore. God loves you. Yeah, but... Your sin is deserving of judgment, and yet he, he paid all of it for you. And so when we bask in that forgiveness, 
right? It's that parable Jesus told of the, the king who forgave millions of dollars of debt, and the guy walks out going, woohoo, I'm free. Grab someone who owes him lunch money and starts trying to choke him out. My translation, by the way. And the king finds out about it. He's like, what, are you kidding me? I just forgave you millions of dollars. You can't forgive him some lunch money, right? That's what Jesus' whole point. Like God forgave us of insurmountable debt of sin. And it's hard. So I want you to ask. I'm gonna, Lord, I just pray for each one of us. Who in our lives have, have we not forgiven? Give us the strength to forgive and, and tell them about it if, it's, if they're still alive and, and we can. To free us from bitterness that's destroying us, Lord. We know they've hurt, Lord. They've hurt us. But God, I pray that we might gaze upon your forgiveness towards us and we might forgive others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last one that we'll end with. It's, it's quick but essential. And he says this about love. He says, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, don't tell my wife I did this, all right? This is certainly not my scarf. I just want to be very clear. And because it's, it's actually the way he puts it is it kind of goes over all of these things. You're clothed in love. Scholars are actually sort of split on what this means. Like some, because he's talking about unity, means it, it, if we have true agape, uh, Christ-like love, we're going to have unity within the body of Christ. Well, that's certainly true. Others say, well, no, no, what he's saying is that that kind of binds all of these things together. And when you think about it, that's true too. So whichever one you want to pick, pick both. I don't care. But, but really, like, lo- to be loving is to forgive, right? To, to show compassion is, is an outpouring of love. And so what, what Paul is saying is all of it is because of our love. So we end where we began. For us to be able to love one another, especially those who are not very likable right now, to be able to do that, we need to be able to love God. What did Jesus say? The greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're linked. If you don't love, and then you find out, if you don't love your brother, well, then you don't really love God. So they're always linked. So it starts with loving God. And to be able to love God more, you need to go deeper into his word, deeper in prayer, deeper in worship, deeper in the community of Christ, and see and gaze upon, on and on and on, gaze upon how much he loves you. Don't take it for granted. Don't forget it. Don't think, I don't think he really loves He loves you so much. And as you realize, wow, the creator loves me. Christ did that for me, right? You fall deeper in love with him, and now this all happens like fruit growing from a healthy tree. So if you're not sure where to begin, go deeper into Christ. This sermon is not meant for, to leave with deep shame or regret. It's meant to leave with practical things that we can do to put on, to really live out who we are. And watch how God changes the world with each one of us and us together. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team and, and um, pray for this last one. Father, this idea of love, the world has screwed it up so bad and it's hard for us. Sometimes we, we think about that and it's give and take, it's I love you if you deserve it, it's attractionalism, it's so much that it's not your love, God. Your love is so deep and unfathomable, it's sometimes hard for us who have been 
beaten down by the world to understand it. I pray, Holy Spirit, show us deeply, deep within those bowels of our heart how much you've done for us so that we might love others and show compassion and tender mercies and patience to bear with and clothe ourselves more and more like you are, that you have shown to us. Lord, I pray for anyone who's never trusted in Christ that this would be their opportunity to come in in faith, to believe that you are the Lord who saves Jesus. Help them open their hearts to, to believing in you. Only you can do that, God. We pray that you would show them they're set apart for your glory and your purpose. Help us as the body of Christ. Help us as this local body that we would show your love to the community around us together. Thank you that we do so in so many ways. I pray they would just multiply through your strength. Give us the courage. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship together.